Have you heard? 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 I'm Jennifer Berkshire. And I'm Jack Schneider. And welcome to Have You Heard. Jack, since we were last together in the Have You Heard podcast studio, there has been a lot going on in Teacherland. All of Teacherland or just on the country roads that you're going to take us home to today? It may have begun on the country roads of West Virginia, but there are signs that that teacher discontent that led teachers in West Virginia to walk out of schools for nine days is now spreading to other states. This is not surprising, uh, given what we've seen in terms of a kind of assault on the teaching profession over the past couple of decades, and particularly coming to a head around issues of pay and autonomy, uh, issues of uh, you know the esteem with which teachers were once held versus the now common refrain of uh, adult interests that they are accused of looking out for, um, and it, it's really brought to head some long-standing tensions with regard to the teaching profession. Uh, you know, the one that always gets me is the fact that teaching is what. Dan Lordy calls a special but shadowed profession, and uh, you know we see it best in some polling where seventy percent of adults say, "Yeah, they'd like to see a child of theirs grow up to be a teacher," uh, and a similar percentage, about seventy percent, say, "Now, nah, being a teacher doesn't really require special training." And the fact that Americans view teachers that way leads to some real tensions around these issues of pay and professionalism, right? That teachers are special. Uh, we value them. At least, you know, we pay lip service to it, most of us. Um, but it's a shadowed profession insofar as, you know, the prestige has declined markedly over the years. The pay has declined uh, relative to other professions. And so what we're seeing in West Virginia is, uh, I would imagine, only the beginning. Well, I set out to interview some West Virginia teachers about the strike, and I may have gotten a little carried away. I wanted to hear directly from them what they saw as the key issues and what teachers in other states can learn from their experiences. And what I learned was that the strike was about lots of things, spiraling healthcare costs, a wellness program that teachers found way too invasive, an effort by Republican lawmakers to prohibit union dues from being deducted from teacher paychecks. But at its heart, this strike was about something pretty basic. Uh, my name is Brianne Solomon. I am a 15-year veteran teacher of art and dance in public school in West Virginia. I live uh, right outside of Hurricane, West Virginia, which is between Charleston and Huntington. And I am in my 10th year at Hannon Junior Senior High School, which is a 7 to 12 school that has about 300 students. You know, a basic livable wage should not be something that we have to fight for being educators. There are teachers in our state with a master's degree that still, because of the size of their family, qualify for food stamps. How does that work? I mean, how is that okay? And then we're balked at uh, because we're finally saying, hey, you know, enough is enough. You've been telling us for years. Next year, we're going to fix the, the teacher situation. Next year. Okay, looks like projections for next year. No, we're, we're done. Next year is right now. Hi, my name is Angela Lattimore-Nottingham. Um, I am a seventh grade social studies teacher in Huntington, West Virginia. Uh, I teach at Huntington Middle School, and I teach uh, 
ancient civilizations in my seventh grade class. Um, I know a lot of people have said, well, you know what you were getting into when you became a teacher, you know what you were getting into when you became a teacher in a poor state, but that's, that's kind of, um, I don't know if disingenuous is the correct word, or I don't know, to be rude, that's just kind of ignorant to say, you know, nobody gets into teaching to be rich. We get into teaching to uh, change lives, but we also want to do it with respect and we also want to do it and be able to afford our own lives. And the fact that we've sparked, I guess, a very big uh, labor movement in our state, like now in Oklahoma, they're, they're asking for a raise. And in Kentucky, you know, they're, they're considering going on strike. And in Pittsburgh, they were thinking about it, too. Um, I think that shows people, you know. Teaching is a profession. It is a labor of love, but it's still a labor. And we, we must, you know, respect and, and honor that and pray, pay those people what, what they deserve. The strike got tons of media attention. But one factor that didn't get enough play, the role that was played by West Virginia's superintendents who closed down the schools in all 55 of the state's districts. Here's a teacher named Brian Elliott. He teaches English at Bridgeport High School in Bridgeport, West Virginia. And he talks about why he thinks his superintendent supported the strike and why that mattered. You got to think superintendents are, they're there to, to help further education and they can see what's going on in this state. Um, they can see the attacks that are on public education right now and, and they don't want it to happen, obviously, because, um, you know, uh, our superintendent, uh, Mark Manchin, Dr. Mark Manchin was, he was a teacher. And so he knows what it's like to be in a classroom. He can see what the salaries are. He can see that it's not competitive and that people are leaving the state because they have to pay for stuff for their family. They have to support their family. Um, and that's not possible with a lot of the, um, a lot of with the pay scale that we currently have. Um, you know, I'm lucky my wife makes a, a good bit of money or else I'd be in the same boat. Virtually everyone I talked to told a similar story. But as to the question of whether it was the teachers or the administrators who really started this ball rolling, this teacher had no doubt. Um, my name is Tiffany Davis. I teach 12th grade English at Morgantown High School in Morgantown, West Virginia. I think that superintendents have seen that it's um, more difficult to find qualified people for positions. They're having to put in long-term subs or uncertified teachers in their classrooms. Um, They've seen that they've been asked to do less or do more with less all the time on a yearly basis. And I think that everyone, um, once we became aware that we were unified and that this was actually a movement that was going to happen, essentially a grassroots movement that was created by social media, honestly. Um, I think that once they saw that it was going to happen, that they stood next to us because they've seen firsthand what the budget cuts have done. They've seen firsthand what happens when you have a teaching position in a county that the salary is not enough to sustain a family or it's not any way to um, pull people into your community. So I think that they've seen people leave and they've seen how hard it is to fill positions and they've seen kind of a degradation of education in West Virginia and we all kind of stood up and said enough is enough. Jack, I'm curious about whether, as you listen to this, if you're surprised by the role that superintendents played in West Virginia, I'm thinking about the new breed of hard-charging superintendents, people like Michelle Ree, who we've had on this program, for example, who often position themselves as being openly antagonistic to teachers. One of the reasons that 
superintendents would have supported teachers here is that superintendents, of course, have a stake in keeping good teachers in the classroom. And of course, one of the things that we've seen over the years is that because teachers, generally speaking, are not paid uh, in commensuration with their education level and with their skills, that they've remained in the profession for other reasons uh, that bring them satisfaction. So one would be stability, another would be autonomy, a third might be the feeling of social utility. And as these things have come under attack in the last decade or two, uh, right, attacks on teacher tenure, uh, the standards and accountability movement, uh, undermining teacher autonomy, uh, the rhetoric around teachers and their quote-unquote adult interests, undermining the sense of social utility, We've seen more and more teachers not only feeling less satisfied in their work, but actually leaving the profession. And of course, this is something that makes the work of superintendents harder. Uh, so, you know, I'm not surprised at all. So, we have some of the lowest paid teachers in the country who are then being supported by their superintendents who realize that they need to take action in order to keep those teachers in the classroom. Okay, so we've got a little insight now into why West Virginia's superintendents supported the strike. But what you probably didn't hear is the lengths that they went to to demonstrate that support. Here's teacher Brianne Solomon again. The support we have is, is kind of breathtaking. I mean, all of our superintendents, every single county, 55 superintendents, came to the Capitol Saturday, locked arms, and sat in the Senate gallery and said, our teachers aren't going back until they get what they deserve. In the media coverage of the strike, there were lots of references to West Virginia's unique labor history. But the teachers I talked to almost all cited more recent history, the 1990 teacher strike in which the state superintendents kept the schools open. My name is Heather Holland, and I teach third grade at Hurricane Town Elementary in Hurricane, West Virginia. It's amazing to me... Um, not only that our state stood together as far as teachers and service personnel and state employees, but that we had the support from each and every one of our superintendents in each county. Um, you know, I have some friends who I teach with that they were either part of the strike back in 1990 or they had um, friends, parents who were part of the strike. And, and then it was a true strike. We, You know, there were picket lines and um, it was a very difficult time. And for us to be able to have the privilege of our superintendents, all 55 of them, saying, we're not going to do that to you all. We're going to shut down our schools. We're going to make sure our kids are safe. We want you to go do the work that you need to do. And then when they hear you, we'll we'll get back to work in the classroom. It was just really inspiring for them to support us. Almost everyone I talked to had some memory of just how divisive the 1990 strike was. Some have parents who went out on strike while their colleagues crossed picket lines, divisions that never really healed. And a lot of those teachers who walked out of West Virginia schools this time around were students back in 1990. I am Melissa Agee. I have been teaching. This is my 23rd year of teaching. I've been at St. Albans High School for 18 years, um, and I have taught 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade English. I also teach Latin and a handful of other classes. We knew that not all the teachers were striking in 1990. We were very aware that some teachers crossed the picket line, and we felt that tension among the staff members, and especially when we all came back to school. The governor back then gave 
staff members three days. We, I mean, he closed school for three days to give everybody a time to calm down and, and to try to come back and get on the same page with their students. But we could still sense that tension. And some of the students felt, in fact, I also, for one, felt a little bit betrayed. I had, to, I was enrolled in two AP classes. And those classes, you know, there's a, there's a test at the end and there's a pretty significant cost to that test. And I had paid that myself out of my own pocket. And I was, this was about a month before those AP tests. And I was, I felt a little upset that my AP teachers felt that the strike was more important than teaching me. In retrospect, having understood now, um, the significance of their, what they were fighting for it makes a lot more sense. And I too made that decision. I would, had we not had the support of our superintendents, I would have chosen to stand out on the picket line rather than teach my students. The fact that those 55 superintendents decided to stand with the teachers this time meant that there was none of the division that tore schools apart back in 1990. In fact, some of the teachers I spoke to said that this strike knit their schools closer together. Here's Bridgeport High School English teacher Brian Elliott again. Our superintendent, at least in my county, Harrison County, was unbelievably supportive of of our efforts. Um, he went above and beyond, not only calling school, but also ensuring that no extracurricular activities were done on our campuses. Um, that way, uh, teachers wouldn't have to cross the, choose to cross the picket line for the students in those, in those instances, which really helped with the solidarity because now you don't have certain people that are crossing and then you get fighting in between the faculty. Um, so basically, if you're going to have issues like that, you want to make sure that it's ironed out exactly what the parameters are. That way you don't create divisions amongst your faculty. Because, like, honestly, um, I think our faculty at my school are closer knit now because we stood out with each other. And I talked to some teachers. I just started here, like, last year. Um, So I talked to some teachers that I hadn't even talked to yet. And so we actually became friends a little bit. And so it kind of helped us bond more as a faculty. I heard lots of stories like that, about teachers who leaned on each other and brand new teachers bonding with veterans during long days at the state capitol. And what makes these stories all the more remarkable is that teacher strikes are illegal in West Virginia, as they are in many states. These teachers were taking a big risk by walking out, but because there are so many vacant positions in West Virginia's schools, the teachers were betting that they couldn't really be fired. Here's a teacher talking about the situation at his school. I'm Greg Cruy. I teach at Southside K-8 in War, West Virginia. I'm a middle school social studies teacher. I like to joke and tell people that I'm a recovering math teacher. I spent five years in this school uh, teaching middle school math, and I like social studies a lot more. Math is fun, but I like social studies better. I would like to say this about the West Virginia teacher strike. One of the problems that we've had is that people think that we're out there whining and crying because we wish we had more money. And that's not it. I work in a building with 32 teaching positions, and 11 of those positions are vacant. They are filled with people who are either long-term subs, very nice people. Uh, We have a retired personnel director who is 75, 76 years old working in a classroom because we can't find somebody else uh, for our vacant math uh, position. 
we have people working in special ed that are giving it all they've got, but they're, the, the guy is an accountant and he wants one day to be a special ed teacher. But at the moment, he's just an accountant working as a substitute teacher. Uh, and so we've got these long-term substitutes and we've got people who have been placed on emergency permits and are becoming teachers while they teach. And what we need is highly qualified individuals in our spots. And that's what we have been fighting for. We have been fighting to fill the 720 some odd vacancies statewide that we don't pay enough to fill. Jack, I want to bring you back in here. We did an episode a while ago with economist Gordon Lafer, who painted a really bleak picture of the future of teaching. He argued basically that the corporate agenda for education means deprofessionalizing teaching, paying teachers less, lowering credentials for who can teach, getting rid of pensions. But it seems like by making teaching a job that no one wants to do, the deprofessionalizers have almost ended up giving more leverage to the people who are still teaching. There's a, a real irony uh, that you've pointed out because, of course, organizing a statewide teacher strike is really difficult. Uh, you have to organize across schools and districts. In fact, the first statewide teacher strike wasn't until 50 years ago uh, in Florida. So it took almost 70 years from the first citywide strike to get to the first teacher-wide strike. And what I think we're seeing is that uh, it really takes an assault on the profession to bring teachers together like this. And we have seen over the last 20 years uh, a real change in the way teachers are perceiving the profession. So these statistics are uh, six years old at this point because MetLife stopped doing its survey of the American teacher in 2012. But that last year they found that teachers were less satisfied than ever with their work. That was the lowest level of satisfaction they found in two decades of doing that survey. And they found that those teachers who continued to be highly satisfied with their work had jobs that they felt were secure and felt that they were treated as professionals by members of the community. Uh, and so those are two key leverage points that we've seen in terms of really pushing teachers uh, to the brink here. Just in the time that we've been working on this episode, the teacher rebellion in West Virginia has spread to Oklahoma, Arizona, Kentucky. The teachers I interviewed said that they are amazed that their strike is now inspiring colleagues in other states, but they're not exactly surprised. Um, I'm Rebecca Diamond. I teach in Wayne County, West Virginia at um a K through five school. It's called, it's Kellogg Elementary. Um, I teach second grade. Um, I have, I've taught second grade for six years, but this is my 19th year teaching in West Virginia. Oh my gosh, to know that other states are looking at us and thinking, you know, we deserve that too. We deserve better for our students. Why are we not standing up for ourselves? If West Virginia can do it, why can't we do this in Oklahoma? We're 49th in teacher pay, so we deserve better. And then you think of Mississippi, who's 50th, and, and you wonder what they're thinking, like, gosh, we deserve this as well. This this is something that is, is going to change not only for West Virginia, but I believe for the entire world to look at us and think, you know, look what these teachers are doing. Look what these service personnel are doing. Look what these public employees are doing. They are actually standing up for 
what they believe is the right thing to do. And we need to do the same thing. I'm so proud of Oklahoma for finally, you know, looking at West Virginia and thinking, why are we 49th? Why aren't we 48th? I mean, why are we the lo- next to the lowest paid in the 50 states in the United States and, and we can't do better? I mean, gosh, they're asking for a $10,000 raise. One of the things that we've seen over the years in education, I think, is worth observing here. Even though we primarily see it in higher education, we certainly see it in K-12, and that's that education does not respond to cost-cutting technology the way that other sectors do. So uh, the relative cost of education has gone up over time in the same way that the relative cost of dental work has gone up over time. Right? You can't have a robot do your fillings just like you can't have a robot educating your children. And this is really exacerbating a longstanding tension, which is that it costs a lot to do the kinds of human improvement work that we want teachers to do with students in classrooms. And yet teacher salaries are constrained by local and state taxes, uh, and particularly by the unwillingness of taxpayers to uh, increase the burden on themselves to pay for education. And so what we're really seeing here is uh, a kind of end around with regard to the cost of education. Uh, It's often happening through healthcare, through pensions, through other ways of trying to lower the cost of education. We did a recent episode about the history of student walkouts and the powerful lessons that students learn when they take action and win something. So I thought it would be appropriate to wrap up this episode by hearing from one last West Virginia teacher who's been thinking a lot about what her middle school students learned from the strike that shut down all of the state schools for nine days. Okay, my name is Erica Rodehaver, and I teach 8th grade English at South Middle School in Morgantown, West Virginia. Um, I think when we go back, um, it's going to be, a lo- there'll be a lot of conversations with our kids about sort of why we did that. And um, I'm in the middle of civil rights unit, so this is a fantastic time for this to happen because of the conversations that can um, occur in our classroom and the learning that the kids have not only heard us talk about, but they have now actually experienced and seen how um, grassroots movements, um, even though we do have our unions sort of heading it up, um, it really was not started by them. It was started by the people and how that even though you have this small voice and you're just one person that you can enact change. Um, You don't have to have a lot of money. Teachers are very poor, uh, but we have been able to, take something that looked insurmountable and we've been able to overcome it. And it's just, uh, it's so it's, it's just a perfect teaching opportunity. And as a teacher, you're always looking for those moments where kids can actually not hear you just talk about it, but see you do it and lead by example. So really excited to get back in our classrooms. <laughs> 